0: Welcome to Thumbnail Podcast. I'm Lewis Rosignol. The reason you're hearing an intro like this is because we did a special interview with Johnny Colt of Leonard Skinnerd, Black Crow's fame, and it went really well. We had a great conversation, but unfortunately the first five to ten minutes of the audio we lost because of technical issues. And so it kind of comes in halfway in the middle of a conversation. And so I just wanted to introduce the conversation we had and just let you know what you missed is we talked a little bit about how Johnny and I came across each other and met, and we talked a little bit about that. And that's really what you're missing coming into this conversation in the middle. And so I just wanted to let you know what happened. So enjoy the great interview we have with Johnny and we look forward to hearing your feedback. You had mentioned that you saw my tutorials, right? You appreciated you thought that I was authentic, which is a really big compliment. I appreciate that. I want to let people in on why I love doing those tutorials is because I love seeing how things are made. And when I see art or music, I like to see like behind the music. I like to see people's sketchbooks and see how things came to be. And so that's why I like to be transparent. I don't mind turning on a live camera and drawing and letting people People just see how things... Because sometimes it comes out great, sometimes it doesn't. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with people seeing that my art doesn't always turn out great. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most important things to know... As a creative, or to share, you know, is that you fail like repeatedly. Like, for example, it's all about a batting average, honestly. I mean, if people knew how many songs we wrote to get a good one, or at least artists who stand the test of time, I mean, you know, I've been making records for 25 years, right? And the way that gets done is because you are willing to do a couple of things. First and foremost is work. You know, It's all about work ethic. There are plenty of people right. that are more talented than I am on my instrument, and they don't work at the level that I work, nor reap the benefits that I reap, because it's a combination of things. So one is the work first. Second is the ability to, and this one can, is tough for me, but being self-aware and honest in the sense that. You need to be confident and have a vision for what you're doing, but you got to take some feedback and you got to be willing to break something down to the scratch. You have to be willing to do an entire drawing and go, wow, that's not very good. <laughs> yeah, It's in the garbage can. You know what I mean? Like That's just the same thing with songs. I recently ran into a musician friend of mine. We made records together at one point and he sent me this song and I played it for my son as an example. The band was called Brand New Immortals and it's my son's favorite band that I was in. And my partner was a guy named David Ryan Harris. Right now he played, and for years he's played guitar with Jonathan Mayer for years. So we made this record and my son loves it, like I said. And, and I think it's a pretty quality record, pretty mm-hmm. solid songwriting. But this outtake that I received, I played for my son because it's possibly one of the worst songs of all time. And the <laughs> funny thing about the song is we really thought it was great. And we were mad at the producer that he wouldn't let us put it on the record. But that record is 20 years old so this year i think so when i heard that outtake i hadn't heard that song in like 19 years if you will and it's so bad and i just it was just funny you know we thought it was really good and it's just not so that willingness to just again work take a little feedback and have bravery finish your piece don't throw in the towel too early but at some point you got to be able to recognize this is a shit show i gotta just i'm done i gotta start over i just had that experience last night so,
2: <laughs> talk about that a lot on the podcast. How it's so important to fail forward, to make these mistakes, and to just learn from them.
1: I love that term, fail forward. I've never heard that before. That's a great term for it. Yeah. Fail forward. That's what it is. Lewis said something on one of his tutorials that I think is incredibly pertinent. And I would like to share my perspective from the music side. Yeah, I want to hear it for sure. Lewis said, and I'm, is it paraphrasing? I'm not quoting you. I'll, no. I'll tell you what I took away from it. Okay. Is that what paraphrasing means? I should learn that before I start saying that word. (laughs) No, you had it right. Paraphrasing means just basically putting it in your own words. Yeah, okay. So I'm paraphrasing Lewis. When you draw when no one's looking and there's no pressure, Mm -hmm. that's the real artist in you. It's an incredible statement actually on a couple of levels. Number one, you have to love that particular space. If you don't love the grind – of what you're doing, then mm-hmm. you're doing the wrong thing. Yeah, like you have to be in love with the negatives of what you're doing, or at least have a joyful relationship, if you will, with the negatives of your process to be able to sit in that saddle for any length of time in your life. That's the difference between like a a very light hobbyist and people that are professionals or heavy hobby people, if you will, like prosumer, right? Yeah, so is that they can stay in the grind. They just would rather be drawing, even if it's for a client they don't like or a drawing that's not working out at all, than not drawing. And if you're that person, then this is something you should really spend your time doing. Yes. If you're not, then that's how you can kind of know whether you're really meant to spend a lot of time as an artist operating in whatever space you're operating in. That's your measuring stick. I mean, I run into a lot of young people who are like, I don't really know what I want to do. Well, if you don't know what you want to do, flip the script and start with learning what you don't want to do.
0: Right. Focus on that side. It's really interesting hearing you talk about this little thing I said about drawing who you are when no one's around and there's no pressure and that type of drawing you do is really who you are. And you elaborated on it in a way that I learned from it. And I thought what I said was just kind of a throwaway line. And then you come with all this other perspective on it. And now I'm learning. I guess it's technically learning from me because it's my words that you're saying, but you're saying them in such a better way. <laughs> so I appreciate <laughs> well, that. I
1: don't think it's a better way. I, it's a different way, but I will say this. There's another component to what you said that stands out to me is this. The person that you are when you're drawing and no one's around and there's no pressure. So let's focus on that state because it's, it's, there's a lot in there actually. Let's focus on the no pressure part. Right. You said the word no pressure and to you it's a quick statement, but that's the statement made by a person who's done this for a long time and seen it as a professional, most of us out here drawing aren't going to feel any pressure. We're just not. I mean, the only pressure we'll feel is, is it good enough for me to show someone? Right. Or the pressure of absorbing the fact that you just failed at something. It's got its own kind of pressure. Mm -hmm. But the pressure you're talking about, or at least what I'm hearing you talk about, what it's speaking to me is the type of pressure that means you have to produce. And when you have to produce, it means that you have to be willing to be completely self-motivated, and that's the thing I, I know a lot of people struggle with. See, if there's not a deadline, I'm not forced to draw something, etc. How many of us out there really take our drawing seriously? How many of us really complete a project all the way until the end if we're not showing someone? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, most of us in the world are seventy percenters. Yep. If we're not forced to do it for work, we're probably rolling at about a 50 percenter. And if you're honest with yourself and you look at your craft as a creative, as an artist, whichever medium you're using, question is, are you really applying yourself? Right. At least that's the question I'm always grappling with myself. Like, am I really giving this my best when I'm not going to get praise? Because unfortunately, you know, I hate to say this out loud, but it's I, I got to own it. You know, it's like there's a part of me that's a real praise junkie, like super ego You know, I want likes on my Instagrams. I want people to buy my records. I want, you know, I want praise. You know, I've just become, you know, just over the years, it's something that's just been a big part of my life. And I'm working real hard to be a person who functions not needing that. Yeah, that's really So this is an interesting topic for me. And I'm listening through that lens, you know? Yeah, it's really
0: interesting. I think like what you're talking about when you're saying like so many people are doing art and they don't feel any pressure. And that's good because I think even if you do have... deadline and you have a client you're working for of course there is this innate pressure and you know you have to produce something that they're going to be happy with and that's why so many professional artists talk about a pressure and you know this need to meet other people's expectations and so like if you can just somehow not worry about even your own expectations Never mind another person's, and just draw and enjoy what you're doing. You're going to create art that's so much looser and so much more who you are as a person. I don't, it's just hard to do. It's hard to get to that point for so many people to get to that point where you can just let go and just create.
2: And it feels like the more professional you become, the more pressure there is to perform at a higher standard. And I imagine right. you feel the same way, Johnny, with walking into Leonard Skinnerd. You know, that's, that's got to be a huge pressure there.
1: Well, yeah, uh, it's a pressure, but it's a pressure that you're used to. Right. It's, it's a job. Right. It's a cool job. It's a great job. It's my joy, right? It's a passion. Look, you guys know, as soon as the money starts changing hands, the dynamic of what you're doing absolutely changes. Mm-hmm. When you grow an audience, you become responsible to the audience. It's one of the traps. So I'm going to spend Leonard Skinner for example. Well, you know, those guys wrote songs that change people's lives and they speak for an entire sort of genre of music. That's great. That's yeah. every musician's dream. Well, guess what that really turns into? That turns into playing basically the same songs every night. Because if you take Tuesday's Gone out of the set or you take... Sweet Home Alabama, out of the set, which would be sacrilegious. If you took Simple Man out of the set, people are going to be disappointed. That song means that much to someone in that audience, and they paid a lot of money for a ticket. Right. So as much as we would try to, as musicians, you want to keep it creative, we would end up, a lot of times, I'd end up playing the same songs every night. So imagine drawing the same drawing every day, at nine o'clock at night, for over two hours, every day, most of the year, for many, many years in a row. That's... That beats you down pretty hard sometimes. Right. That becomes something different. It's still music. It's still creative, you know, but it's just, it's different. It's a different version of being an artist. It's where the commerce and the creative sort of clash. And if you want to call that a trap, uh, it's a pretty good trap. It's a pretty comfortable trap, but You know, it's a successful sort of trap, if you will. It's what comes with success. So it's not something you can complain about, right, because you ask for it. Right, yeah. And so I think that old cliche, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. I have seen that come true many times in my life. It's so interesting because,
0: of course, when I first started doing art a few years ago, well, I've been doing art my whole life, but professionally, and like, I didn't have anybody that cared about my art or followed my art. And as that grew, that was what I wanted. I wanted people to enjoy my art and get a following. And then, because that's the only way I'll be able to do this professionally, is if people are into what I'm doing and buying my art. But Now I get so many requests where like, draw this person, draw that person, which is kind of like, in my mind, the same as if someone's at a concert yelling, play Free Bird. Yeah, right. right.
1: Free Bird. And
0: (laughs) right. And to me, I'm like, sometimes I'll get annoyed. Like, oh, draw this person. But then I think without these people that even care what I draw, I'm nowhere. Yes. And so you have to step back and appreciate that. And so I totally see where you're coming from. I did read an interview That you did a few years ago, or I don't know how many years ago, but it was years back. I think it was when you first joined Leonard Skinner. Someone asked you about what was like the biggest surprise maybe or something like that about joining. And you said you weren't prepared for just how emotional... Some of the songs made people, you know, because oh, yeah. they just had this connection to some of these songs. And even for yourself, just playing these songs in an arena to all these people that were such classics and how much of an emotional reaction you had to it. And the reason I bring it up is because as an artist, I want people to have emotional reaction to my art, but I'm never there to actually see them have that. Yeah. Because they buy a book of mine or see my work, but I'm not there. But you, as a musician, you're there and you're playing to the people and you can see that. So can you talk about that
1: and just how cool of an experience that is? Yes. Spontaneous, in-the-moment reaction is an incredible thing to be part of. It is an exchange of energy that's genuinely epic internally. When you play Simple Man and the audience hold up their phones and a number of the people in the audience have pictures of their sons or daughters that were lost in Afghanistan or Iraq or someone that was very important to them, a parent who passed away, and a lot of people, that was their theme song. That's a hard thing to... Only a robot wouldn't be moved by that, you know? When I first joined the band, because... Skinner was such a part of my upbringing. And I am very Southern in my core, good and bad. I work hard to to try to improve the bad side. And I work hard to try to hang on to the good side. It would move me at first to the point where I was having a hard time playing. Like it would throw me out of being able to concentrate. And the first time I, I would have tears in my eyes in the beginning, on a number of occasions, it would become sort of disassociative. And I'm, I'm a person that rolls with a lot of, uh, personally, a lot of, uh, I have a lot of anxiety issues and, um, you know, it's not a good idea for me to get too emotional one way or the other while I'm trying to work, you know, when I'm up there playing it's music. But if I get overwhelmed, man, I I would just get, it was tough at first, not, not in a bad way, you know, just in a very like, wow, you know, it's about an emotional IQ, you know, it was forcing me to frankly, and I sound completely weird and corny here but just it, it made me open up certain emotional pathways uh and, and have certain levels of empathy that just weren't operating in me before wow
0: that's really interesting i'm curious about that feeling that you're talking about and now you're doing a lot of visual art and drawing And I'm just trying to think, so so you're seeing these people have this emotional reaction, which is causing you to have a reaction, which is so weird for a visual artist because we just don't see that. And we can't play off of the audience reaction because we don't even know how people are going to react. And so it's all, we're isolated, I guess, in a way, if that makes sense. We're creating art in like a vacuum. And so can you talk about that with your visual art and the difference between the two? Like, how have you felt- when you're making art versus
1: making music. I don't know if that question makes sense. Yeah, it makes it makes sense. Let's make sure we have like our apples and apples kind of thing, you know? Recording a record is more like drawing or visual art.
2: Right. Okay, yeah, that makes sense.
1: The idea of writing a song looks like an art, like a visual artist. The recording process, you know, is when you get to the media. Let's, let's just make it real simple for everybody. You know, when you're starting to write a song, it's like your sketch. You know, I'm just playing my guitar and I bang out a couple of chords and grab a melody. Then I'm like, okay, I want to flush this out. I want to get a second part, a third part. This is when you're blocking in your images, right? You know, we can just make this comparison all day long. And then sort of we go in the studio is like when you move to your wet mediums or whatever, I'm just kind of trying to, it's a little bit corny, but stay with me. And then I'm good at corny, by the way. I got a lot of corny going on. And then we move forward and then we, you know, things like mastering are like, you know, I compare it in my mind to like, depending on your varnish or sealant or whatever you're going to use to get that last level of gloss and the framing is all important. And then how it's presented in the museum or wherever you're going to show your work and the environment, that's all record making. That's the same. Live performance is a completely different thing than visual art. It's just, there's not an audience there in visual art. Now, right. Let me say this though, in my personal opinion, and this is just me. Music has always obviously been a part of my life, and it was the thing when I was young that moved me more physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all the way around. The sounds of things moved my insides. Now, at this point in my life, I was in the the Broad Museum in Los Angeles looking at a Basquiat painting, and Mm -hmm. I was staring at the painting. I've certainly looked at artwork my whole life, and I'm looking at brushstrokes my whole life, but something happened. I was looking at the brushstroke. I was standing almost the distance he was away when he made it, relatively. And I had this just sort of one of those thoughts where a bunch of things come together at once. And I was thinking of the primitive aspect of mark making. You know, you think of when I, th- I think of making records, I think of creating something other people have, they can keep it. I listen to Hendrix all the time, he's one of my favorites, and he's gone and I feel like I have a piece of him, etc. However, That's one thing. And I feel that it is intimate. A record can be an intimate thing. But when I looked at that brushstroke, I realized, in my opinion, there is nothing more intimate outside of physical touch in the world. And if you think about artists, brushstroke, the great ones. Brushstroke is everything. You think of Van Gogh. You know, you you think of Picasso, you think of Ralph Steadman, it's it's stroke and energy. And it's there's such an intimacy there and such an authenticity. You can't be fake. Well, you can be fake when you paint, actually, but it's obvious. (laughs) Right. It's so hard to fake something And most creative people can feel that energy. But beyond that concept of fake, you're not faking. That's not the point to to, to what I'm saying. It's the mark. And I just looked at his brushstroke. And for a second, I just felt Basquiat. I just felt him. And that is, other than performance art, that's the closest thing that happens that feels like the exchange of energy that happens in a show. So what I'm saying is this. As the person who created it, I'm not sitting at home when they get the record and their life has changed. I'm not. I will see them on tour, possibly in the art world. Mm-hmm. I don't know the equivalent as an artist of making it and getting that experience, but I know that as a viewer who who does tries best to create art it's with that intelligence and the knowledge of having done some of the work when I now see work, it takes me places that move me the way I see the audience being moved. Does that make sense?
2: No, oh, yeah,
0: totally that makes total sense. I was thinking too, like there is a difference obviously, and visual art is not as accessible as music is because. There's so many people that view fine art and painting as pretentious, and they don't have the appreciation that you have when they see a painting, and they can really connect with the brushstrokes and they can really get it. Whereas music, everybody in the world appreciates music to some level, and they have songs that really just touch them. And so I wish that visual art, and I would like to try to make it more accessible so that everyone can get on that same level, but I just don't think that visual art will ever have that same broad appeal as music has and it's just the fact of the matter but the people that get it definitely get it and they're really connected to visual art but it's not everybody yeah
2: well it's when you combine them that it really sings i think for art and it's like when you could bring it into animation and you could start touching the same medium of time right using the timeline of music and video yeah
1: well let me point this out music and visual arts i would kind of Maybe go the other direction, Lewis, in the sense of this. You were talking about very specific parts of art. We are bombarded every day by so many visuals. When people used to go, hundreds of years ago, when people would go see a painting, you couldn't see a representation of reality, right? Your only representation of reality outside of yourself would be the painting. Right? Mm-hmm. That would be like us seeing like holograms now. Do you know what I mean? That's what that was like. Like when you went to see a painting, it was like, that's insane. How did he even do that? That's like magic. The first time someone did a perspective right. drawing that, where you could, look like you could walk into the painting, it had depth, that people blew their mind. You know, that's like the first time you saw yeah. a cell phone. Soon with the cars, they'll drive themselves, right? There's a day where you'd be like, man, have you seen a Tesla drive itself? That's amazing. Like you see it, you're like, right. holy shit, does that really work? It's the same thing that people did when they saw paintings. The difference now is, and music's on its way in the same direction, in my opinion. You saw the first Coca-Cola ad, The first time you saw a billboard, it was like this amazing piece of art, right? It was just graphic and bold and like, wow. But you've been seeing that stuff since before you can remember life. So art becomes a right. thing that's just—it's—it's it's weird because... People will say, you know, music moves everybody. Well, yes, but so does art, except art is now plastered to commerce. True. Art has become a tool, right, of commerce, runaway capitalism. So every piece of art, everything is molded and colored, and the emotional aspects of colors are all dialed into products, so we're hammered with it. It's a saturation level to me. So I think that music will appear that everyone's into it, but not everybody's into art. I don't think that's—I hear what you're saying, and I'm actually not disagreeing with you, Lewis at all. I think you're right, but at the same time, I don't think people understand that when, you know, the viewers can't see this, but I'm holding up this Perrier can, I'm attracted to it. I'm attracted to the artwork on this can, so I choose to buy this product over yep. others because I'm connected to these colors, this image, and the graphics. So I think we're being influenced by art all day yep. long. Yeah, you're allowed to oh, disagree course, with me of course. on this I, podcast, I, but I'm not really it. disagreeing. <laughs> but, I, I think what you're saying is correct. There's also other sides to it, you know. I think there's more art going on in our lives than anybody even realizes.
0: Right. I was thinking too, like my connection with music being really through Tyler, right, because I did the album cover for him, and he was very involved in the creative process. He really is excited about visual art, and he wants an album cover that he's excited about, and I'm curious, I'm assuming you must think that the art on an album cover is incredibly important and it has to fit the album perfectly, and I'm sure you have some favorite album covers. But how invested are you when you're creating an album in the visuals that are going to be attached Let to me it? say
1: something to that. When I was really young, really young, okay, I was listening to records before there were cassette tapes, just so the audience have a reference. Yep. So when I was little, and I'm talking about eight years old, I was listening to records hardcore. My aunt was 16, right? So she's eight years older than me, and I just had her whole record collection. So... I had a single mom, so when I was eight, she was 28. She had a house full of records, too. She's a young person, right? So I'm sitting there with Pink Floyd Mm -hmm. albums, and I'm looking at the album. And the album artwork back then meant everything, because there was no MTV, there was no internet, there was really no way to see the artist. You had to get an album, and you had to get a poster. To see them, you either had to go to a show, or every Mm -hmm. now and then, on Saturday nights, they would have, like, at midnight, the Midnight Special or Don Kirshner's Rock Concert, and that's the only time you saw artists on TV. So I'm 100% all about the artwork. And what I'm super excited about, my son has turned 16 yesterday, and one of the things, and he's a musician, and one of the things that I love about his age group is they're all about the artwork and the album cover. Everything that goes with the album, they love that there's an alt cover. You know, there's two covers. It's even better. Right. So they also tie in right. clothing. Right. It's all lifestyle driven. There's mm-hmm. clothing and shoes and posters and artworks and giveaways and all this cool stickers and all this good stuff. So I'm really excited that people are making that connection. And for me, art always went with the music. You know, when you see the live show, yeah. the backdrops, and the lights, that's all again, it's just more art, isn't it? Just a continuation of the creative
2: totally
0: it's so true i can't even tell you how many times that when i was younger i'd go into record stores and i'd be looking for just new bands to be into and i would buy albums just based oh, on yeah. the c- cover oh, yeah. art not even knowing what the music was going to sound like but i like this art i'm going to give it a chance just yep. because of that and so that just shows how important yeah. the art can be cuz it draws people in
2: same with books same with movies it's all the same as much as you you try not to do that like you can't help but yeah dare. i totally
1: agree i yeah. totally agree and that's what you want is you want the whole package right that's what we're here for i want to know the artist's vision and i love that tyler's That in tune with what he's doing and putting that much effort into every step of the way.
0: Yeah, he's very invested. Every album he's put out, he's had two covers. He does his own cover, usually, and then he has an artist do an alternate version. I think this album that I did, the alternate version one, was the first one where he didn't make the original art for the other cover. But he's very involved, which is so cool because... First of all, I didn't have to work with somebody else and try to relay messages through somebody to get to him. It was just like, I'm directly dealing with him and I know exactly what he wants. And he also, the way that it kind of happened, it was like, he asked me if I could do a portrait for him. And then I did that. And then after he said, can we use this for the album cover? And then we started making some tweaks because, you know, it had to have the album name on it. And it was a really cool process back and forth, which, you know, I had never done before. I mean, I've done like some art for very tiny bands, but to do something like that, that, I mean, the album won a Grammy. So to have my name even remotely attached to something like that was just incredible for me. I do have a service question. I just want to know what your, just curiosity, what's
1: your favorite album cover? So, that's a great question, and there's a lot of good ones. I think the best way to do that is, let me share what I spent a lot of time looking at as a child that really sort of affected me. Yeah. There's a record by a band okay. called Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, if you're into prog yep. rock. Familiar. It's called Brain Salad Surgery. So, if you could pull a picture, well, oh, this is, I forgot, this is all audio. It would be great for people to see it. It's kind of hard to explain. If you know what a gatefold is, that's you know a record where you open the record up, meaning it's like a double album has a gatefold in the middle. So not all records have to have actually two pieces of vinyl. Sometimes you get a single piece of vinyl with a gatefold. This thing opened, so what you were looking at was like this mechanical, almost Geiger kind of image, and there was a, a skull, like a, a mechanical skull-looking thing, and then what looked like a human sort of weird mouth but the mouth, it was like a piece of collage, and the artwork went around the mouth, so the gate folded off the front of the record. So it like opened like two doors into the artwork, and you'd never seen a piece of album artwork like that. Mind-blowing. I mean, just, oh, you have, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. And it- This is it, right? Incredible.
0: Yeah. So that was one of the ones when you were younger that was like your first-
1: There was another one, which is kind of, I think, something that everyone is a pretty slam dunk. If you've ever seen the Hitchcock movie, uh, is it Rear Window? I think it is, where he's broken his legs and he's looking out his window into the courtyard of like a New York apartment building. He's looking into all the windows and all the stories are going. There's a record by Led Zeppelin called Physical Graffiti. It's just like a row of brownstones, but there's images in each one of the windows. And that's cool because you get more details and you got a lot to look at while you're listening to the record. There's a lot of detail in it. I will say most of the Radiohead artwork has been really good. Yeah. Most, I, I, I'm not even going to single anything out. They do a pretty good job of having pretty compelling artwork on everything that they do. And I enjoy that they integrate. They're taking the art so seriously for everything they do. I think that really stands out a lot. But those are some of the things that really album-wise... Stand out. Let me talk about something current, and this is a little bit different spin on it. It's really interesting. The Strokes have a new record, and everybody's waiting a long time for the Strokes record. You know, it has Basquiat cover. Yes, yeah, right. So, which, you know, I'm a fan, so I'm immediately like, wow, awesome. You know, you can't lose a Basquiat, right? Especially rock and roll and Basquiat go together. But the interesting thing about that record is when my son, who, of course, plays me all my new music now, he brought it and was like, hey, the Strokes is out. The digital cover is just the Basquiat paint. So when we went to the record store to buy the vinyl, you know, the Strokes, of course, like what you just said, they had to put their name on it somewhere and the title somewhere. So it was really disappointing for me. And I'm not holding this against the Strokes. They're trying to make a cool record cover, which it's awesome, but... To see lettering on top of Basquiat's painting is just disappointing to me. It's just weird. You know, I've seen that image they use so many times and to see them, like some graphic artist, try to figure out the font for it. It's like a scratchy font and you're like, it's digital on top of a, you know, you're just like, wow, that doesn't work for me. So A plus on The Stroke's artistic influence, I'm not saying this to turn people off or like you know, I hope I'm not leading anybody's thought process. You know what I mean? It just was really weird for me. So album covers still obviously have a huge impact on me. And I'm like you, there are many albums in my collection that I bought because of the cover. There's so many album covers that are photographs of the musician.
0: And that's interesting. And there's great photographers out there. But I always just because I'm an illustrator, and I love drawing, I love to see album covers that utilize illustrators and drawing. And when the artist allows the I was able to write. Igor on Tyler, the creator's album. He didn't just take my art and then have some graphic designer put the name of the album on it over my art somewhere. I was so grateful for that because like what you're talking about, they take a piece of Basquiat's art and then they write on top of it the album name and it's kind of like uh, i don't know i know what you're saying it's still cool they used his art but it would be neater if it was just the art and maybe just put the name of the album on like the side or something it was
1: kind of unsettling one of the things right. that i thought was great that you did you know it was written in your um in your style by the way i'm while we're talking i'm just i'm drawing a picture of uh, can you see this lewis Lewis and his does. And by the way, it doesn't look anything like Lewis. That's the best part. It doesn't yeah. I didn't look nice. <laughs> nice. I didn't get one. I haven't gotten one feet, maybe the right eye. <laughs> that know? is that is um, good. <laughs> so I think one of the things that about work that's interesting is I notice when I try to do lettering on my work, so let me try to get more art specific for listeners. But when I'm doing lettering, I've found that I really don't you know, Joe, I don't know how this works for you, how you feel about this stuff, but I can't come up with a lettering that I feel like looks cool. I was thinking about that. I'm like, why is not Lewis, is, he can write anything on yeah. the piece of paper and it looks super rad to me. I write anything on my paper and it just looks weird or contrived or forced or it just doesn't feel right to me. And then I realized in the world of art, your handwriting is kind of like singing. What I'm saying is when you, the first time, let's forget about singing. The first time you hear yourself talk, it's weird. Now... We have all these ways that we hear ourselves talking now, so we're desensitized to it. But before you really had the cell phone and all these recordings going on, you didn't hear yourself talk very much, you know. And when you did, it was like, "Whoa, do I sound like that? That's weird." I feel that way about my handwriting. I don't know what that says about me, but it's really (laughs) weird. Like my handwriting is incredibly inconsistent. It'll change in one sentence. It's like I don't like. Sometimes I like it. It's like I'll be having a good day and it'll look really cool, and then it's gone. And then I'm writing in this weird. I don't know. My handwriting has a lot of sides to it. And I never really thought about it until I started really digging into art and started trying to letter stuff. Any thoughts guys on either one of you on that? Not really a question, I know, but just maybe you know where I'm going.
0: Yeah, I'll talk about lettering and then Joe can say his thoughts. My handwriting's terrible, okay? So if I was to try to make like, let's just say an album cover because that's what we were talking about and I'm going to write the person's name, I'm not going to make it uniform because I don't have that skill set. And so because I can't do that, I go in the opposite direction where I just make it a mess and I'm going to make one of the letters way bigger than the other letters and then one might be in cursive, the rest of the word might be in print. And if I'm writing like a few lines of text, there's going to be some text that's squished together and some that's spread out. And I feel like variety is what makes my art me. What makes my art unique is the fact that I have tons of different line weights, tons of different variants on the way that I write. And I don't even know what I'm writing half the time, like when I'm writing in the background of pieces. I just am sometimes writing what I'm hearing on the TV so that the text is as about as free-flowing as possible. And so maybe that's why it, it doesn't look yeah. forced or contrived because I'm not thinking about it as much, I guess. That makes sense. Joe, I know you do one-panel cartoons and things like that. So you use text in your work and you do graphic design. What are your thoughts?
2: It's a whole other beast. I know if I try to stay true to my own handwriting in my art, it doesn't work for my art either. And so I have to have these different, Ooh, essentially, writing personas given the different work I'm doing. If I'm doing a cartoon and it needs a speech bubble, it needs to be legible a certain way or like that character in my mind speaks a certain way, I'll change how I'm writing that speech bubble. It comes a lot down to, I think, just typography training through art school. At first, jumping into art school and my career as a graphic artist. So I'd worked with typography quite a bit and using the flip side of it, forcing typography to do what I want it to do, right? And then forcing it to find the style to really match the piece I'm working on. I always found it weird, just like you were saying, Johnny, how my natural drawing, like whatever would come out naturally in a drawing would not match my handwriting. And so I, I find that interesting that you even brought that up because that's always been a problem for me. But I've had to then just find ways to force it and fake it.
1: You know, I've done what I thought any artist would do, but specifically the way Lewis discusses it. The way Lewis talks, I'm talking about you like you're not here, you're right in front of That's for the listener. That's it. That's for the listener. So he just speaks in a way that I can relate to. So the idea that I need to just... Sometimes with a piece of art, what I found, and you can tell me if this is, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's valid. It's my experience, but it, it happens in music too. But a lot of the time you're just trying to survive. Like I've gotten myself halfway into something and it's like a question of just solving problems to get out of it. You know, it just becomes, and if I've got the right music going, the right vibe, right, my brain will open up and flow to some degree. Like I just couldn't handle my handwriting. So I bought a, the when I was searching for some photographs so that I could do some of Lewis's tutorials, I, I got myself some of these old label machines and I would just start printing what I wanted to say on machines that look good to me. Yeah,
2: Are they the embossed ones, like the tape ones? Yeah, the old
1: school embossed ones. Yep. There's an artist, uh, he's incredible. His name is Brian Wood. Yeah, I love that. He has, he's in the graphic novel comic book art business. He's written a number of them. My favorite one is DMZ, and he yep. does incredible artwork himself. And, you know, he's in the early DMZ days when he... DMZ started as a, uh, what do you call that when you're finishing college? It's your, uh, his final project. Uh, It has a name, but it's- Thesis. His thesis. So DMZ was actually became, was his thesis- But in the early art, he used one of those label machines. And I remember them from being like a child. My mom was a banker. So things like those old rubber stamps and stuff, like I was really really little. I mean little, like five when those things, when they went out of date. But I remember them. So it really triggered something like at my core in his artwork. And as soon as we got into this and I I just could not get a handwriting that I liked, I just switched. Again, it's just a survival tool. I'm like, I I gotta get text on this page and I I gotta find a way to do it that I can stomach.
0: Yeah, what usually said actually made me think of two things and they're kind of related. But the first thing is about the text. So what I always loved, you know, when you see like ransom notes in movies and they're collaged together (laughs) from like magazine clippings and it's all different sizes and shapes and colors. I always liked that for some reason. And so I kind of tried to mimic that in the way I drew text for a while. And that kind of probably influenced the way I do it now. And then the other thing that when you talked about drawing and and it's kind of like problem solving or I don't know if that's the phrase you use, but surviving, you (laughs) said surviving, right? Yeah. It's like problem solving, which is why I'm a big proponent of using ink and permanent things when you draw, because then the eraser doesn't become a way to solve problems. Okay, now this mark's permanent, so what am I gonna do if I don't like it? You know, I'm gonna have to try to scribble over it or do something else. And that way you don't have, like, I don't like the eraser to be an option.
1: When I have students, and I I teach um, younger students, uh, I don't teach college, I teach high school and and below, but You know, there's no erasers. I I introduced them, you know, to the concept of you know, I I, um, I had a number of guests, artists, uh, especially one called Justin Lyons. He's a great artist for my area. You can uh, I'm going to plug him real quick. Justin Lyons, you can uh, see him on Instagram. He's great. He came in and taught some classes. And one of the things that we really got to was the, the combination of his teaching and this weird phenomenon that Bob Ross is super cool to every kid in school. It's the weirdest. They love Bob Ross. I just think he's the grooviest. So it's like, you know, the whole no mistakes, happy. Happy trees. I, know, I can't quote him, but yeah, the idea there's no mistakes. It's just a chance to we really embrace that because and had them stop erasing. Because what would happen is they would critique every single line. Like they draw draw and erase, draw and erase. I'm like, whoa, 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 stop. Right. Next time you make a mistake, just scratch it out. So then I took a bunch of artists like Justin came in and showed them in his work the way that he will put images up and then take them off or eliminate. And the removal process and how you got to throw something at the paper and then have a dialogue with it. And that's working for kids even literally Little kids, little ones, the little little ones. Yeah. It's like, look, man, no erase. Okay. You're yeah. just gonna make it work. But I've noticed on the subject of teaching and how art is such an incredible measure of a person's social and emotional well-being. Middle years in school, you know, your seventh, your eighth grade, mm-hmm. that that period we all go through, or puberty's hitting, it's very awkward, and everything is changing. You can see how self-critical that age is in their artwork that no one erases more than that age group. It's amazing. They're critical of their work, and they're critical of their neighbor's work. So I'm probably spiraling off into something listeners don't want to, you know, it's not very compelling. But I think, no, it is compelling. It's pretty fascinating how, for me, art has really grown out of, honestly, some emotional and mental difficulties.
0: Well, can we talk about that? Because
1: I know you had mentioned you wanted to talk a little bit about
0: mental health and the connection, because I know personally that I draw... And it helps with my mental health and my Tourette's and things. And so what has been the connection for you with visual art
1: and mental health? When I decided to get off the road with Skinner, there's a number of reasons I left. They don't really have anything to do. I had to take a break. And the change in lifestyle, I came home and I just felt uh, lost. And a very close friend of mine who's an artist named Todd Murphy who's an incredible artist, he's a fine artist out out of New York. He really pushed me to start moving paint around. He taught me that the wet mediums are alchemy. You know, there's no no end result. We're not attached to the end result. And he got me to just start moving medium around. And he had me start painting with roofing tar. And so I could put suspensions in the liquids and make mixes. And it it just became very soothing. That process was comforting. It's really weird. And now you know, I like to paint with wet medium because if you get the right mix, the paint, mm-hmm. the paint on the brush, the brush feels like butter. You know, there's this amazing, satisfying thing. And I, I don't do it well. I don't care. I just don't care. I just move paint around the canvas and I do my best. But at the end of the day, I, uh, you know, I don't care. I just don't care. It's the process. And, and I felt really drawn to it. And then I just started to go just slide into a dark hole. It just got worse and worse, and I became severely depressed. I just had to really face a whole bunch of things that it was just time to deal with a lot of intrapersonal stuff. And, you know, to be honest, I didn't know it was there. I was a physical person, I was healthy, a sober guy, and, but there was definitely some things that needed to be processed, and I've always had an anxiety problem. Depression runs in my family, alcoholism, drug abuse, anxiety mental disorder, I just, I got the gambit going on, you know? So I had to stop my life and really learn a whole bunch of new skills, face some things and reboot. And I needed some professional help to do it. But through that process, art became a tool, you know, it became a real piece of therapy. It's an amazing feedback loop. You can see where you are as soon as you draw a line. You know, if you're sensitive to yourself and self-aware, you can tell what's going on. As soon as you start to try to block something in or whatever, you can tell whether you're anxious or calm or feeling kind of down or up or excited. And you can see the energy in the lines, no question. So for me, I will find myself in these states where I'm just functioning. I'm a dad. I have a career. I'm paying bills. I'm getting things done. And I tend to not be that emotionally self-aware if that makes any sense, it's weird. It's like, I feel like I'm self-aware operating and being successful or playing music and this and that. But there is some part of me that's operating that I just don't connect to well. If I don't manage it, you know, it just sneaks up behind me and grabs my mind and I become sort of dark and disassociative and and anxious and it gets really weird. That just gained some kind of power in my life where it, it, it just got unleashed. But now, if I use my tools... And I have to use my tools every day. They're like medicine. And one of those tools now is drawing, painting, you know, creating. And it's become a necessity. By teaching it, I see the impact it has on other people's lives. Right. And how much emotional stability artwork can create for a person. Even if you have no idea how to draw, it doesn't matter. The second you start pushing a pencil across paper or paint across a canvas, you're in it. And it doesn't really get any better than that, you know? And you get the benefits the second you start. Your anxiety level will go down. Right. You will begin to calm down. You will become centered. The hemispheres of your brain will balance. Your intuition begins to speak to you. You become connected to colors and shapes and design. You begin to look at the world in a different way when you do artwork on a regular basis.
0: It's so true. And I've talked about it many times, which is kind of one of the reasons that I started doing the tutorials now with everything that's going on with the pandemic. Like people are anxious and I kind of wanted to see if some people would be interested in watching these tutorials and get themselves maybe drawing and creating. Maybe they're someone that hasn't done much of that, but if they can sit down and like you're talking about, just start pushing a pencil around, even if they're not that good at drawing in their minds, just the mental health benefits that they could have and the calming nature that it could bring themselves. People a lot of people just don't realize that about art. Maybe they haven't given it enough chance, or they only did it when they were a child, and then they thought, oh, I'm just not good at drawing, so they gave up on it. It's more to it than just being good at art. There's such a mental health component that a lot of people maybe just don't realize, you know? I
1: think it's, again, mark making is in our, I think mark making in its most basic form is in our very DNA. It's in our nature. It's, I exist. You make the mark because it's something outside yourself, and that something outside yourself is that item that you are able to have perspective that you exist. Right. It's constantly reaffirming that you're part. Okay, now I'm going to get goofy, but it's constantly reaffirming that you're part of the universe. And what's happening all day long is creation, regardless of your spiritual or religious connotation, or or that's not the word connotation. You're, whatever you are connected to spiritually, whatever your denomination, whatever it is you believe in. Okay, I'm not trying to get into that. What I am saying is that I feel like creativity is constantly happening around us. Trees are growing. People are thinking of ideas. The universe is in motion. So every time I sit down and draw, I'm doing the most natural possible thing a person can do. Now, it could be music, too. It doesn't have to be drawing. But isn't that what's happening all day long? And aren't we creation machines? That's what I'm supposed to be doing. And what a better way to use my creative power than... To sit down and create visual art that beautifies, that doesn't put a huge footprint on the planet, doesn't cause a lot of... I mean, a rock show causes so much footprint. Yeah. Okay, there's there's positives and negatives to it. So, I'm just saying, this is a... When you want to have a low impact, personally, I'm getting quiet in my life. I'm trying to fade out. Okay? This is a beautiful way to work. It's just a, it's an amazing gift. I just feel incredibly honored and blessed to to have found this at this stage in my life. Yeah,
0: I couldn't agree more with what you're talking about. I think it's perfectly worded. I don't want to take too much more of your time. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today. And I do want to tell people like the visual art you've been creating. It's really cool to see what you're doing right now. And how can they get a piece of your art and help a charity right now? I know your Instagram handle is just Johnny Cult, right? Just your name.
1: Yeah, Instagram is my main tool. And, and yep. Louis, you said something that was very uh, useful to me was, you know, I love that you connect with your fans. You care about everybody. You really care about the people that are interested in your work, and I'm sure Joe does too, Right? Uh, or you wouldn't be doing these podcasts this way, right? And Joe's an adjunct professor, so, you know, I know he cares, right? right? He's given back. So that's an amazing thing to be able to be part of. So what I'm doing is simply trading artwork, And I I like to make fun of it. It's not a lack of confidence, but some of it's a bit dubious. You know, sometimes it's a shoebox lid. You know, I'm just doing whatever I want to do. Um, And I'm trading it for donations to Feeding America. Because of my career and all that kind of stuff, there's no website. There's no high-tech anything. There's no nothing. All you do is DM me on Instagram under Johnny Cole. You make a donation. You take a screenshot of the donation. I never even see the money. I never even get credit for it. It's not like I raised a certain amount of money in Feeding America know who I am. I'm anonymous. You take a screenshot, you send me the donation, I send you art. Everything is, everything's an original.
0: Yeah, and you've been posting like the pieces and I've been seeing you just say like DM you and it's been really cool to see. You're sending me one of the pieces because I was really flattered that you talked about me in the underneath and said that the piece was inspired by one of my tutorials or something. So I'm really excited to have a piece of your art hanging in my studio. And I was flattered that you did a piece that was inspired of my work. So, but again, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. This is like a nice special episode for people to have a really cool guest.
2: Yeah, and your insight, it's been really great. There's been a lot of real nuggets of gold. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that, guys.
1: I always feel uh, if anybody listens to the actual end, I can't imagine they're going to listen to me run on and on. But the thing is, talking about art is weird. Talking about music is weird. You know, as soon as you start talking, you feel pretentious. You feel, you know, it just gets awkward. The thing is, I just wanted to say this last thing. There's nothing about society that is set up to tell you that sitting and creating art Even when you don't know, with no concern to the end result, that's a valuable way to spend your time. There's nothing about our society that tells you that. But I'm telling you from an emotional standpoint, a mental health standpoint, a joy standpoint, it's hard to beat sitting down to work on art because it stops the entire world. It just becomes you. You in that beautiful feedback loop of your best and highest creative self. So, for example, Inspired by Lewis... I'm doing a lot of charcoal drawing. I cannot control charcoal to save my life. The paper is a mess. I got thumbprints everywhere. I don't know how to tone it. It's a disaster. It's awesome. I haven't had one great charcoal drawing that was worth keeping. I couldn't be having more fun. Yep. But, you know, there's something very comforting about that velvety black. It's just soothing. You know, and having the charcoal in your hand and it merging into you and you merging into the paper. What a joyful place to be. Yeah. Again there's no end result. And I think that's something that has been so great for me and my mental health is to get into the place where it's not about the end result, being in the present moment. And how many things of higher thinking teach us to try to be more in the moment and things like making music and creating art put us in the moment. And at a time in life with this pandemic going on, we all have this opportunity while we're forced to slow down to interface with drawing and creating and painting to give us that opportunity to feel that connection. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I think that's a perfect way to end this. I think you hit the nail on the head and hopefully people take that advice and start creating and drawing if they're not right now. But I have a feeling most of the people listening are already drawing and they know that that's a great benefit. And you didn't ramble, so don't worry about that. You know, this is art podcast. This is what we talk about. You know, we don't have a huge listener base, but the people that listen, they listen to the whole podcast. They're really into it because this is what they love, art. So we really are appreciative that you came on. And like you said, you hadn't done many interviews in the last... It's been a long time. Right. So that makes it even more special that you came on.
1: I kind of forgot how to answer all those sound bites that we used to use. <laughs> <laughs> I think this was a lot more authentic.
2: We'll definitely have to have you on again. We'd love to talk. Yeah,
1: I'd love to be a, a re- reoccurring uh, guest. And I love the community that you guys are creating around your podcast. I'm looking forward to hopefully being a part of it going forward.
2: We'd love to
0: have you again. Thanks, Johnny. Awesome. But thanks again, and. Take care, take care guys.